Hello, welcome to BA Brew. I'm Lisa. I'm Chris. And I'm Jonathan. Uh, today we have Christine Gold all the way from Australia, um, our special guest here to talk to us about the, the benefits, uh, drawbacks, everything about one-page documents um, in business analysis and, and beyond actually in other industries as well. Um, so Chris and I used to work together um, in a previous employer and Chris was my unofficial mentor when I first uh, began my BA career um, and I actually remember going to Chris uh, with an information gathering sheet which had things um, all about the solution that I was trying to implement, you know, um, requirements, users, um, the documents that we're using, um, data, all that kind of thing. And I remember Chris saying to me, this, this is like canvassing. So then I was thinking about this recently, and I thought about the idea for the brew, and I thought, you know, it, it would be really interesting to talk about one-page documents and just, just see what other experiences people have had and what, what uses um, people have had in, in, in their BA careers. Um, so, so Chris, uh, are you a fan of the the one page document then? So I'm I'm a, an obsessed by the one page document. I think it's worth saying. I think document is. I'm going away from the word document. I'm obsessed with things that are expressed in one page where you can um, position it so that you can see it in one place and you can see the whole of something in one place. Um, and I guess my my obsession with it came from probably the, a similar place where I ended up producing stuff that was really long, really complicated, really laborious. And I remembered I was working a lot in quality improvement. This is sort of before being like a sort of BA, BA, but being kind of uh, working in sort of lean and sort of like theory constraints kind of uh, um, environments in a uh, learning call center back in sort of early 2000s. Um, and I started reading up about a3 management. I thought, what's this thing? It's another exciting Japanese term. What's this thing? A3 management. And then I found out it's when you put things on an A3 piece of paper and people have made a whole like kind of like methodology out of putting things on an A3 piece of paper. But there was a logic behind it because they said, well, when you have something, this is kind of like defined pre-computer age, when you have something in an A3 piece of paper, everything on it fits inside your field of vision. So if you can express the whole of something within that, and it's often sort of held, if you imagine it's sort of landscape, imagine it in front of your head, you can see all sides of it, then you can sort of work with it you can see the different facets of something and it's the same kind of thing with wanting to balance scorecards it's the same sort of thing when you put a process together but when I started doing this one of the problems I was having that was writing these process charts because I was sort of doing sort of BA work as well to try and plan out our processes in any service center we were running in my first employer and the um, they were often really 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 complicated people were struggling to read them struggling to solve the problem and that's because you'd have page one page two, goes on to page three. Um, if I had one of those architect's printers, I could have like, done it in a big roll and like stuck it to the wall or something like that and pull it all out. But it was, it was too much for people to interpret. And within there, you'd lost the idea of why you were looking at it in the first place. And you say, well, how are we going to improve this process? Everyone's forgotten why we're doing it. You know, what's the reason behind it? And it was one of the other great things about um, a one, good one-pager is the, well, and it, this comes back to the A3 philosophy as well, Everything on there coheres around a purpose. So I'm not sure balanced scorecards always work like this, but it's the same underlying philosophy for it. You know, with a balanced scorecard, the idea is you see things that matter all in one place, and you've got an objective to, you know, make a decision based upon that at a strategic level. With BA purpose, often you've got a problem. You've got a process, you've got something you want to illustrate. Maybe you've got a set of tasks that need to be done if you talk about projects. You illustrate that and say, why? We're all here to focus on this one thing. Why are we doing it? Everything that I need to know is in some way on this one sheet of paper. It might not have all the detail, right? But it gives me everything that I need to know. Or you go down the level of detail, but then you take the why and you shrink it down. Um, and it gets people focused 
And I think that, that I mean, there's lots of different ways it does that. There's a wonderful aspect of that, which is that it gives people opportunity to play. So if you get people in a big room and um, if you visualise a big boardroom, everyone's got one of these A3 bits of paper in front of them and some pens. Now pretend that it's not a boardroom, but it's your local kind of family restaurant. And you're all like eight-year-old kids, or in fact, worse, five-year-old kids. And you've been given one of those bits of paper with loads of puzzles on it and some crayons uh, by your parents so that you're quiet while they have an adult conversation beside you and you're scribbling away and you skip from one puzzle to the colouring to whatever because it's all there. And in a really good, where our family were really effective is that you'd see that people would start doing this. Everyone would get this one pager in front of them on the table and they'd start scribbling. And that scribbling would help them understand it. They'd start joining the dots, they'd make notes. And at the end of it, they could take this one page with their personalised notes back to their room, look at it and go, I get this and here is everything that I know about it express cohesively and it just improves understanding and I think there's a it's it's sometimes done badly but that is I, I sort of fell in love with them at that point and one of my kind of guiding principles has been then and as I sort of went on in sort of BA careers and beyond that is wherever possible try and get everything that matters summed up so you can express it in a page at a time. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a great technique isn't it and interestingly I mean I've used one page documents for years but maybe not always A3 but perhaps A4 mm -hmm. sometimes but I, I hadn't heard of the A3 technique until a couple of weeks ago actually and then you mentioned it again and um, you're, you're the second person to mention it um, so, so yeah I'm glad it's as simple as I thought it was uh, as a concept yeah. so, yeah, so lots of benefits there then so how, how have you used uh, this question for yourself or Jonathan how have you used one pages what, what kind of thing would you put on there things like project timelines milestones uh, in your BA career? So for, for me, I just find out if I so um, I mean, I, this is coming to BA work, but project work, in other words. So it's um, project timelines are a classic uh, for that. One of the, and this is probably skipping almost like a little bit, one of the best, most effective examples where I'd, I've ever managed to use one of these was um, uh, with what was effectively a very detailed project timeline, scope, plan, intent, or whatever it is, encapsulated into one page. Um, the, um, I used it a lot for process work. So one of the, um, the things when we were working on process analysis, assets processes, uh, process improvement to be processes uh, within the large change program and in setting up a VA team was to establish a kind of process mapping template format where every process had to be expressed in one page chunks that would include effectively the process map for that page. It might have some things that say expand this, expand it on another page. But each one of them would also then say, what is this process, obviously? Why does this process matter? What's the output you're getting out of it? And it had a column reserved on it for issues, concerns, talking points. And the idea was that you could take any one of these things on its own and the output at the top of it had to matter. If the output at the top of it had to matter, you could throw the thing away because you've got a different conversation. You're saying this business process is irrelevant. It serves no purpose whatsoever. How do we get rid of it? Um, but in most cases, they do serve a purpose, and that kind of then comes out. But it helps you refine and map your processes in terms of what are the actual business outputs you're trying to achieve, rather than what do we do to get it from Bob to Sue, and what do we do to get it from Sue to Alan, and what do we do to get it from Alan to that team, and so on, which is often how processes end up going if you allow them to sprawl too much. So that was one of the other key, key areas I did, and that was about really training that thinking um, process in the place to say, right, get it broken down into the things of value you are trying to achieve mm. when you're improving this process. So those have been the key areas I've used it, apart from that sort of strategy pitches, the usual kind of thing where you basically say, I need a decision made. This is the situation. These are the issues at hand. These are the options that you've got. These are the 
pitfalls are the options that you've got. These are the decision options open to you um, to send up to the management. Chris, I'm just going to share. I love the enthusiasm, passion that you're showing, and and it's it, it's it's quite um enthusing. I, I'd say as well, just to listen to you and the amount of passion you've got for for the one pages. I haven't got the same degree of passion as you've got for for one pages, but I am going to share. I think there's a there's a general problem in the business analysis and business change professions. We use ten words when we could use three. And 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 there's there has been a history of these heavyweight documents that often aren't read by the readers. And there's there's various stories of business cases that've got chapters of Moby Dick included inside them. Um and 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 kind of I'm not sure if they're real. It might be kind of a like a, a story that's been made up, but you know, requirements documents that've got, I don't know, pictures of um, I don't know. Mickey Mouse hidden in them and, and no one no one's actually read the requirements document and therefore you know what, what's the point of the really big document um just as you were talking about processes I, I remember I was on one project Chris and um a, a team had put together some target state processes for a claims um project and, and they were very confident that they'd outlined all of the detail as to what needed to happen and my job was to choose the IT system that would support these target state processes. And I started to read them. And I couldn't understand them. There's too many. If you'd printed them out and covered them on on a wall, it would have been it would have been like wallpaper across every angle of the wall, font size kind of three, and loads of detailed processes. I really didn't know what these processes were asking for. And what they'd done is they'd lost sight of the purpose why was the project there and what were the stakeholders concerns what were the stakeholders key priorities um and they hadn't realized because it got, got lost in the detail and um one of the techniques that that i used in that instance was perspective analysis and looking at what's the core business activity so i used a business activity model just to bring them up a level so they could see that they had a divergence of views as to what did the target state need to look like and it, it wasn't necessarily a one pager wasn't my goal my, my goal was let's get people on the same page so they understand what it is that this project's about because they they'd gone off it was like cats going off in different directions but they hadn't realized because they're in such a low level of detail mm -hmm. That makes sense. I think that that's a real outline of what it's for, isn't it? Because when you the, any document is purely there to serve a purpose, and any kind of it is it's there to get people thinking and get decisions, which then gets refined back again. And I mean that's um, I mean that's the classic mm. uh, issue about why and what are we doing things and understanding the purpose of what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what, would you, what would you include as your minimums on one of these one pages if if you've kind of got a template, Chris? I think it's uh, it's it's written down in in the, the brief that we have for this podcast of some sorts, which is the kind of it's the it's the why, isn't it? The other W's, um, what, why, when, where, who, um, and how. Uh, so so it's it, it does it does change, but the most important thing, understand, is is that it's clear that there's purpose that you've got a, almost like the whole system on there. Um, the I often think about um, I suppose if we talk about sort of like um, analysis theory, uh, soft systems analysis and the kind of thing that you get from sort of like soft systems methodologies, not so much the hard systems methodologies and various attempts over the years to make soft systems methodology something that you can do without having to spend like six months in a room 
uh, with, with, with a group of people kind of beard stroking because unfortunately the original models required a bit of that, which meant they're quite impractical. And a lot of that was about representing that Mm -hmm. thing on a page but also making the world view really really clear mm -hmm. so i think it's, it's really important to say what are you trying to achieve why does it exist mm -hmm. that's got to be clear and explicit what does it represent what doesn't it represent how to read it should be obvious so if there's some weird arcane kind of like logic on it there has to be a key right if it's obvious then it's just obvious that's even better um and i think the you have to be able to see there from beginning to end so even if there's like a massive area that you just can't include in this document but it's relevant to the process you need a just a blob that says and this bit to finish it off so you've got the whole i think that's that's the key thing the other thing it has to have is flow across the page so one way or the other you have to be able to read it or navigate around it it can't literally just be scattered on all the way across a piece of paper it has to have some kind of um sort of natural flow to it whether it's left and right up and down sideways whatever it is yeah yeah um and i, I love the fact that you referenced the one page of the I think you, you both had put together that covered those core questions, the who, what, the where, the what, how, the when, um, the why. And it's, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of thinking approaches as much as they can be used uh, for documentation. But it's kind of a, it's a way of thinking and acting as a change professional as much as it is about producing the written output i think it's a kind of we're going to focus on the purpose and those core questions and try and help our stakeholders be on the same page as much as as they can yeah 100 percent um the the, the and, and that for me is the is the real power that, that you can have um through i mean there are loads of other methods around it that you can apply but through being able to present stuff in a way that is digestible systemically is that you get people thinking and you get better outputs because if you get a group of people together they actually read and digest what's in front of them as you said um i laugh when you mentioned the thing about mickey mouse i did used to do something similar as a project manager in my first job where i inserted stuff that i knew would trigger certain people to see who read it and who hadn't <laughs> There's nothing more soul destroying though, is there, than, than writing a document, a really lengthy document, nobody reads it, yeah. Yeah, I once got in trouble referring to that in a job interview where it was quite clear that one of the people around the table was appalled at the idea um, <laughs> that, uh, that an analyst or someone would come in and try and trigger up like that. It was a good example to use, but, but, the, um, but I think that is, there's that, it's fundamentally important that you get people thinking, and if they can digest the whole, they can realize the whole if there's a thing in the hole that's going to cause an argument let it cause the argument get it up front but then control the argument manage the argument so the argument turns into a discussion to a debate and you start working on the solution mm. um, it's very easy to bury um difficult questions in a long document it's much harder to bury difficult questions in a one page mm. Mm. just give that visibility doesn't it yeah, yeah. So I think, I think, I mean, I'm absolutely a fan. I do like things that are easy, quick to take in, you know, uh, all the facts that I need in one, one glance, like you say, Chris. Um, do you think there's any, is, is there any sort of drawbacks to, to a one-page document? Is it maybe something around formality or I don't know, certain industries needing more detail? What do you think? Do you get any I'm thoughts? jumping on this one. So um, I've seen people use one-pages as as a goal in and of itself so mm -hmm. and and sometimes inappropriately so um as an example I mean, the original method was a a3 is my understanding but i've seen lots of mm -hmm. consultants I, i'm i'm an ex-consultant i'm going to share 
um, try to squeeze lots and lots of text in very small fonts onto an A4 or even an A5 piece of paper um, in order to hide stuff. You can't read it because it's too small or it's too detailed. So they're using this concept of a one page in order to partly make themselves look clever because of the number of models and, and, and detailed text in there and partly to hide stuff. So you can misuse the technique in certain instances and, and the intent is clarity of purpose and clarity of the issues and, and, and clarity of the direction. But um, if, if, and I've seen people do it in certain consultancy slide decks, one page after one page, so it's a it's a twenty or forty page deck, and each each slide has got very detailed text and very detailed models, and you've lost the sight of the big picture then, and it's a misuse of the technique because you've 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 got twenty pages, it's all forty, it's not a one page then, and and it, it's not it's not always used positively. I'd suggest it would be more kind of two pennies worth. Yeah. Well, you've, you've hit on one of the number one challenges, I think, that, that, that will come out of that. But I might almost uh, I'll, I'll come back to that one briefly because it's the challenge that technology brings to this. But the um, SU, the other example where I see it being used really badly, and I think it's exactly the same thing, but in a different scenario, is when that is the one page thing is applied to saying, well, we want a one page summary. And an exact summary is fine. It's really good to have something that's a page, half a page at the beginning of a document that basically sums up where you are. But sometimes one page just isn't enough in terms of narrative. Mm. And when you're looking at narrative, you're scrolling and you're reading through it. So if you have like one page, and you certainly aren't going to read one on A3, you read one page of A3 document, you're going to read two A4s anyway. But if you have an A4 piece of paper with text in front of you and you're reading down it, you're not digesting the whole at once. You're not going to be able to sit there and, and absorb an entire page of text, especially if someone squeezed it into like 0.2 margins in order to get it onto one page of text. Um, you're not going to be able to digest a line at once. So it's narrative. So actually, sometimes you need more white space. You might need bullet points. Now, conciseness is brilliant. One of the reasons I love, again, one-page stuff so much is because, as I'm sure is obvious, I um, talk at 100 words a minute sometimes. So the exercise of bringing that together digests all the noise I've got by just pair, pair, pair it down, pair it down on a written thing to make sure that it's as succinct as it can be. Um, but the... Um, but when you do that in, in writing, it is misused. And quite often, you, I've lost count of the amount of times I've, I've, I've met sort of poor members of staff who've been given a command to reduce something uh, to the absolute bare minimum amount of pages. And what you end up with is a wall of text that you can't read. Um, you, you know, those, those small font sizes I've seen very, very regularly, Jonathan. I'm, I'm familiar with that as a customer of consulting <laughs> in places. And I've been over the years, but it's, uh, it can be very frustrating, I agree. Um, I don't know if I can touch on the, the, the other one, because this is probably, it's opening the other kind of worms, which you mentioned about um, trying to squeeze on a PowerPoint slide. Mm. And that is the challenge, because PowerPoint is not the place for a one-pager. Uh, anyone who's seen lots of university lectures where um, slides have every reference squeezed on them and you can't see any of the text because they're, they're, you know it's just a wall of, of like kind of citations. Um, it's often done where you have a presentation and people want to print the presentation out and read it afterwards. That's not what PowerPoint's for. PowerPoint is there to accompany a conversation, right? It's absolutely fine to have PowerPoint slides that are like a comic book. You know, it's like, wham, bam, pow, whatever it is. And you talk and perform to it. And then you've got notes. If you want to have notes pages, you can send the notes pages out. That's what they're for. Um, the problem is, is that 
with the last couple of years in particular, when we've all been stuck on Zoom, PowerPoint has often been one of the only tools, along with things like Miro and the, you know, it's, uh, the different whiteboarding tools. And let's not mention the Microsoft whiteboard because we'll say words that probably aren't allowed on this sort of podcast. But the, um, but you you get into a scenario where those tools are not very good for this particular purpose. A PowerPoint slide also fills your field of vision on the screen, but it just isn't big enough to be able to absorb that right amount of information. And this is actually one of the things that has almost been lost a little bit because especially when we're working on laptops, smaller screens, smaller devices, it's not as easy to do that as when you've got it in front of you. Mm. Scribble on it. And, and that I don't know the answer to. That's it. it's, we're not, I don't think any of us know whether or not we're all going to be sat in boardrooms again in a year's time or not. It, it is great uh, if you get the chance to actually meet people, Chris, again. Um, I'm sure you have. <laughs> but it, it's, so, it's so nice to be able to go out and see people. But one of the tools that we make use of, and, and we, we dabbled in Miro, but we, we make use of a tool called Mural, which I think you and Lisa put together for this pod. Oh, you can expand the, the size of it. It's got an infinite canvas. So you can make it as big as you need it to be. And, and I think there's, a, there's an advantage of that for collaboration, but there's also a disadvantage that suddenly one page can be segmented and it, and it becomes the detailed thing where you can't see the whole. And, um, you know, but there's a balance and, and, and not just trying to use PowerPoint. There are other tools out there that you might want to consider because you are constrained by the size of a PowerPoint slide. And, and most people, myself included, have got a printer that supports A4 pages. Um, yeah. So if they end up printing yeah. it, we don't have I haven't got an A3 printer. But if um, <clears throat> and, and so there's you can see why why there's a limiter there. Um but I think kind of getting back to it, it it's about getting people on the same page. It's about succinct and clear communication. I'm going to share a story with you, Chris. I once heard of a project that put together 10,000 individual requirements for future check printing. So a check for a bank transaction, 10,000 individual requirements. And, and, and there's these outlier examples of where I'd suggest business analysis has been performed extremely poorly, where this type of thinking, let's get ourselves to be clear and succinct and get people on the same page is absent. And, 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 I, and so I really like your enthusiasm for this particular kind of way of thinking uh, because we, we've got to as a profession i think move towards being clear and succinct where where we're not mm -hmm. not in all instances anyway absolutely yeah 100 it's it's a different topic but the there is a there's kind of a line in terms of what a ba's role can be and what a BA's role sometimes is one of those lines is sometimes almost enforced in a kind of I, I, I used to joke about something called contract oriented architecture from a software point of view which is like service oriented architecture except that the line in the middle has got nothing to do with how things should interact with each other but is everything to do with the contract mm -hmm. and the contract is often defined by a requirements document because depending who's doing what job somewhere along the line you've done a piece of work where some business analysis has turned into a requirements document and then they've attached the contract to that, mm. not the outcomes. And so the immediate thing that document has to serve, you've got different companies, is basically covering two people's backsides or two companies' backsides more than it is about facilitate collectively solving the problem. Yeah. Uh, that was BAs in a bind, to be honest. It's not a particularly great way to work and what you need is almost to find a way of being able to step from that 
to the next step and kind of refine that arrangement. And that's about getting into partnerships um, with people rather than necessarily kind of more adversarial relationships. But that's challenging. And a lot of old school sort of business analysis grew up that way. In houses, you know, kind of trying to break down that contract wall has been quite tricky. Mm. Um, but that's one of the places where, again, I think it's, it's encouraged that kind of thinking, break through that. The earlier you can do it, if you can do it before you start hitting those big problems, the better. Because if you can knock down some of those big problems and open up thinking at the beginning, then that just makes the whole of the rest of the process flat. That's a really good point. It, it definitely is a great, great way to start. I mean, I've, I've done, in terms of one pages, I've done obviously the info gathering sheet I mentioned earlier, but as well, the, the what, why, when analysis, that's great on the one page. And you, you can, without, you know, a normal size font, you can get just enough information on there to be, you know, I use this validation tool really. If I've joined a project late, which, you know, often as BAs, we, we are invited to the party late, aren't we? I've often sat down and thought, right, what, what do I need to know? What are the key things? And I, I won't go any further until I've, I've written it down, mm -hmm. got it right in my own head, and then have it validated with the stakeholders. That it, have I understood this correctly? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just, a, it's, for me, it's a fantastic tool. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, though, I did go over onto two pages slightly sometimes, just because it required that level of detail. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is, that? is it no longer a one-pager anymore or, you know? It's, it's, it's not a one-pager because it's not a one-pager. I think that's, that's kind of it's, it's like it's because then you start using that thing. How we've got to be precise about our terminology. BAs haven't we? We've got to, got to kind of say it as it is. Um, but it's uh, you know I've got one page and I've got this little addendum here because it's useful. Or you've got a two-pager and that's fine. And if you've got it's it's whatever is right to communicate something. It's the principle. If you aim for the principle and you understand the reason you're trying to squeeze something down to one page to make it intelligible, to make it understand, to make you understand the whole system. If you then achieve that using three pages or something cut in the shape of a star or painting on a wall somewhere, you know, kind of you still have achieved the outcome. Right? It's it's about the outcome, and I think that's one way of achieving that outcome. But it's that mindset that's most important. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I'd second mm -hmm. that. Focus on the solving the business problem, realizing the opportunity that you're there to do, and, and you know, having it on a single page isn't the goal. Solving the problem, solving the opportunity is the goal, and, and keeping that in mind. The other thing, just as you're talking there, it made me think about the importance of thinking systemically. And I think it's, this came up as you were talking earlier, Chris, that kind of helping people to see the holistic view. Of what is this problem, issue, opportunity? What is this project about? And, and there's loads of great techniques out there that we can use to do that. And I'm going to list a few um, that I've got, it's got to mind. Capability maps, um, excellent tool, a value chain. An ex excellent tool for helping you see the see the whole pop it, um, which we can't we can't have a BA brew podcast without mentioning. <laughs> obviously, um, there's the, one of my it's a bit of an obscure tool. I'm going to mention it. Um, it's called How Now Brown Cow, and it was developed by uh, Suzanne and James Robertson. And what it does is it looks at what now and in the future, and how now and in the future. And it's one of these, it's a thinking approach, but it's also a modeling approach. But it just gets you to think clearly and succinctly, what's your project about? And if you you, you can look this up, it's a real tool. I've not made it up, I promise. Um, but it's so useful for thinking and for making your, getting very clear on what is the scope of a, of a change initiative and, and, and thinking about the why, the purpose as well. You know, you, you, you're, you're hitting some really difficult questions there 
if you've got consensus and common understanding on those difficult questions, you've got a much greater chance of project success. And then the last the last one I'm going to give a shout out for is the user story map. You can put so much information on a user story map. All of the themes, the releases, uh, all of the sprints, the priorities, you can put lots of information on there and that can be extremely valuable as well just to get people on the same page. Yeah, some great examples. I think there's, there's quite a few. I was thinking about this obviously before, thinking about, you know, how do we use these things in everyday life and not, you know, sort of beyond the BA sort of community in the role. But things like crib sheets, uh, quick start guides that we use, you know, yes. without thinking that that's just basically a one page, you fold it up a little bit, you know, um, all, all kinds of different things. Um, reports, um, checklists, training slides, all those things. There's so many things that we we, we use one pages for every day without, without even realising it. Like, and so yeah, it's a, I think it's a really interesting topic. So we talked a little bit about the uses, um, you know, the benefits, the drawbacks. Chris, have you got any final thoughts? Anything that you want to to finish on? I, I, I think it's it's just always always explore for better ways to communicate. Tools are always changing. Um, you know, the, the, the methods are changing the way you connect with people. So it's communication and getting that idea through is what matters. Uh, yeah, and, and if you focus on that, then um, then you'll succeed. That's great advice. And How about yourself, Jonathan? I can't add anything to that. The, the, what Chris has just said, yeah, it's about communication. It's about getting people on the same page. Adapt as you need to with your stakeholders. Try different models. Try different structures and approaches. But but just keep that focus on the system, the whole system, the holistic view, and on moving your business, your organization forward, solving the problem, solving the opportunity would be would be my kind of final thoughts. Great, thank you. Well, thank, thanks so much to, to Chris and Jonathan. Um, thanks to everyone for watching. If you have any ideas for the uh, future podcasts on the BA Brew, um, please contact uh, babrew at syskd.com. Thank you. Thank you.